Well, adults, I'm not going to have you come sit up here. If you'd really like to, you're welcome to. But uh, we'll let you stay in your seats. It is indeed Father's Day, and it brings us to one of my favorite passages in the Bible, of which I say about a lot of passages because I'm a big fan of the Bible. Uh, but it brings us today to the passage we know uh, often, uh, as Hebrew tradition would call it, the Shema. Uh, and so what we're going to do today is we're re- going to review, and we're going to do something we haven't as a church done in a long time. So I'm going to invite everyone to rise. So stand up, rise, whatever high church word you want to use. And we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 9, responsively. So, if you see it, I'm going to give you a review because it's been a long time since we've done a responsive reading. So I want to make sure we're on the same page. If you see it in black and small, because I know some of you might be colorblind, so I'm not just going with color. If you see it in black and small print, that's me. I read that. Okay? If, however, it looks bold and red or whatever color you see, that's you. Okay? You with me? So, we are going to read the scripture together. I believe this is a wonderful privilege we have as a community, as a family of believers. Remember, when we think back to the tradition of God's word, not everyone carried around a Bible like we get the privilege of. So, they literally were talking about it and reciting it to one another to pass it on. So, we're going to do that this morning. Hear, O Israel. And be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. You ready? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Amen. Well done. You may be seated. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you have taught me much of who you are through this passage and how your, your law gives such life as it teaches us about what love truly is. And so I pray this morning that you would hide from us anything that would distract us from you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall so mightily on this place that we would be responsive, that we would listen, that we would respond in a way that makes us even brighter light, your light in this world we find ourselves. In your name I pray, amen. Well, obviously, if you think back to Moses giving a talk, Moses likely would have had a crowd come forward and listen around, surrounded first by the men, the leaders of the tribes. They probably would have been the closest. Yesterday, I got the the privilege through uh, just a sheer blessing of someone else that was connected to go to this thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of the TED Talks. 
well, TEDx was in Hong Kong yesterday at another church, and I was given a pass. Well, I didn't know what kind of pass I was given until I walked in. After a great morning with the men's ministry, I thought, I'll stop over for a couple hours, enjoy uh, hopefully learning some new information about education and how we learn and things. And I walked in, and they gave me a yellow wristband. I didn't think that meant anything until they said, okay, now we'll walk you to your seat. And so what they did was they didn't just let me get a seat in the back because I was late. No, they made me walk all the way up to the front because I'd been given a VIP pass. And so I had to go all the way up, but then there were no seats, so I had to look awkward because there were no seats for me. And so I sat on the floor, which was great. But I got this front row seat to hear a neuroscientist and a politician and educators and a pastor. And, and he was a really good. And, and I heard all these different talks, and it was exciting to sit there. And listen to the insights of these people using their abilities. I don't know which of them are Christian or not. But it was exciting to learn from the knowledge that others had gained. And to sit so close. Like you guys in the front couple of rows. Well, nobody sits in the front row. They're afraid except for Sydney. Well done. Everybody else seems afraid of the front that I might come down and look at them. But I wonder if when Moses was giving these last talks if the people were just craning their ears to grab every last bit of knowledge they could from their leader, from their judge, from the prophet, from the one that had talked to God, that had led them in the wilderness, that had, as many fathers do, had put up with their complaints, had sacrificed much himself, and I wonder if everyone was eager or if their attitude was sometimes like our attitude when we come in and we hear the word together where we're there in physical body, but our minds are a million other places. And then when we think about our children, now this is just me, but my kids don't hang on my every word, as you noticed if you saw them this morning. Maybe yours do. If you have children, maybe as a child, you did. You just, whenever your mom or dad spoke, you just. But in all reality, most of us don't do that even now, do we? That's why how Moses started was so important. He said, hear Israel. Now, hear in Hebrew there meant more than just listen. It's kind of like when you tell a teenager... Listen to me when I'm talking to you. You're not just meaning listen to the words. You're meaning actually listen and apply and do what I tell you, correct? Well, that was the, the context of what Moses was saying to the people. And that's why he repeats the word here numerous times in this little passage. Hear me now. And as one famous Saturday Night Live skit says, listen to me later. He wanted to make sure they knew this was important. Not just because it was a bold, boring law that was rigid and unbending. But that in law, in the very law of God, they would discover a life that they had never imagined possible. And it began with love. And so Moses was going to introduce, reintroduce the people to who God is, and he wanted to make sure they got it. I was amazed. There's a, few, a couple thousand people at these TED Talks, and TED has become this trendy 
thing that, you know, if you get to go, it's like, whoa. But then you look back and you think, yeah, the talks weren't all that good. But because it says, Ted, we're going to listen to everything they say, right? And we do that with all sorts of things. If the right person says it, we're going to listen. Well, in this case, God had given Moses the words to say. And Moses, speaking for God, expected the people to listen. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to jump ahead. I'd like not to start with the Shema that I I talked about with the kids, but I'd like to move down and begin with verse 6, to begin with the why of this being significant. And and what's it matter? How do we do it? How is this going to play out? Dads, as we try to instill in our children what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, where does it start? Well, these commandments today are to be upon your hearts. What's that mean? Well, if we think about it, If we look at the scriptures and what they tell us about the heart, we know that the heart was used as an example of literally the source of life for all of us, okay? Our heart contained a wellspring of life. And as we're told in Matthew 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? What's that mean? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, has anyone ever been in a bad mood? Yeah, maybe you are right now. Maybe it was difficult to get you here to church this morning and hasn't been a great day, yada, yada, yada. Not in a great mood. Well, when you're in a bad mood, your heart, we sometimes will say, is heavy. What tend to be the kind of words that come out of our mouths when we're in a bad mood? Typically grumpy words. I'm not going to say what kinds of words. Hopefully they're still somewhat edifying. But we tend to everything in our body, every word often comes out not quite the way it should because we're grumpy. And we just want everybody to know, having a bad day. In the same way, if our hearts are full of life, if our hearts are full of joy, if our hearts are full of excitement at who God is and what He's done, we can't help but talk about Him, can we? When you see God at work, you can't shut up about Him. And so it starts there. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Well, how do we write this life on our hearts? We live in the Word. We're not quite like Israel in a couple of ways. One being, we have the written word of God that we can carry around like this. I don't have my phone in my pocket. We can read it on our phone in a bunch of different languages. We, we never have to be without the word of God. But just carrying it around isn't quite what Moses is talking about. Because... If we're just carrying it around, we might be able to open it up and and tell somebody, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it doesn't, doesn't quite apply. But when we've shifted and we've put that word on our heart, it means we have asked the Holy Spirit to fall upon us in such a way that he teaches us 
his word, as we study it carefully, as we learn to meditate on it day and night. It's what Joshua commanded the people not long after Moses' talk. Joshua says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Learn to chew on it, to just spend so much time in it that you can't get enough of it, that you keep realizing, wow, it makes sense. There's so much life here. And then you begin to realize that out of your time enjoying communion with our Lord and our King and our God, you can't help but sharing it with others, sharing Him with others, because the Word is so in our hearts. What's that look like for us in a modern culture today? Well, there's a movie that's been released this weekend that I think helps because he's kind of got two personalities. Uh, First, he's known as a mild-mannered man that walks around and works for the Daily Planet as a reporter. Anyone know that guy's name? A couple of you are following with Clark Kent. But then he goes into a phone booth, or not anymore because phone booths don't really exist very much. He does this. I'm not going to do this because I like this shirt. And I'm a Batman guy, so I don't have Superman clothes. And this is seen. And everybody suddenly knows, like, oh, we didn't know you were Superman until now because you took your glasses off and we see your chest. But now we know you're Superman. In the same way, what if the word of God was so emblazoned upon our chests that we couldn't help but literally just spew it out in every time, in every season, in every way, because we're so in tune with God that his word flows freely out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How cool would that be? The word of God is useful, we're told. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking. It teaches us to mourn. It teaches us how to grieve. It teaches us how to love. Love. Spending time in the word. You can't pass this on to people you are trying to disciple. You can't pass this on to your children, to your students, to your friends. If you aren't first, if we aren't, me too, if we're not first spending time loving the word by studying it and applying it to our lives. Moses then goes on and he says, okay, first, Put it on your hearts. Emblazon it upon your hearts. Instead of an S, it's a big G. For God is written all over my life. Then impress them on your children. Now, this doesn't mean your kids look at you and say, Oh, I'm impressed. This actually means like an impression that is made on a solid object. That it's placed there and it sticks. Once you make an impression, like if you put an impression into a hard object, it's stuck. You know, it takes a special tool to make that crest, or if you've impressed it on, even on an envelope, it's stuck. It's there. It's not coming off. Well, that's the impression given here. Do you see what I did there? Talk about them. So impress on your kids' hearts. Put that mark on your kids' hearts. Well, how do I do that? How do I, with anyone I'm walking through life with, Give them the impression, that very mark of God in my life. Well, we teach them the word of God. And how do we do it? It's pretty simple. It's not rocket science. Talk about them when you sit at home. What do you talk about? What do I talk about? 
Do I spend time talking about God? Do I give God credit for what he's done and how I see him at work in my life? Do I teach my kids that on bad days I'm still going to turn to him in prayer? Do I look to the Lord first and then communicate to him with my kids joyfully? Not just, kids, we're going to have devotions. Now, that is very important to have family devotions. I believe in that. But just in general conversation. You ever met somebody that just can't stop talking about the Lord? When they sit down, they're talking about the Lord. When they get up, they're talking about the Lord. Well, they're just obeying the scripture. That's all. When you walk along the road, you're talking about the Lord. You're talking about what God's word is teaching you. Every Wednesday night, our under-shepherds meet. And every Wednesday night, our under-shepherds are asked one question, and we ask it of each other. Well, sometimes we forget, but almost every week we ask, what has God been teaching you through his word? And that's a huge question, and that's how most of our meetings have to start in a time of prayer and asking, what's God been teaching you? Because if our under-shepherds aren't in the word, how can we expect anyone else to be in the word? It starts there, and all of us should be able, if I come up to anybody and say, what's God been teaching you in his word? I hope that you can look back at me and say, hey, this has been on my heart a lot lately. If you've talked to me this week, I've just been loving Hebrews chapter 12. Three verses to start it off, but whoa, it's been amazing. I, told it, I talked about it at, at LIU. I then talked about it somewhere else. At men's ministry yesterday, I talked about it with my wife. I think she's sick of hearing it. Because sometimes I preach to my family as a practice. But we want all the time. When you lay down, pray with your kids, read with your kids, talk to your wife, talk to your husband, talk to the Lord constantly. When you get up, some of us get up in different manners than others. Some of you are what's known as a morning person. Woo-hoo. Others get up against their own will, and they do. But do we start our day by just saying, thank you, Lord, for this day you've given me? May I love you and love others? What if we just paused and said that, recited the Shema? What if we just did that, just getting in that habit of starting our day by talking to him and talking about him? Or you nudged your husband or wife. Be careful. If they're not morning people, don't wake them up. It won't go well for your marriage. I've learned. But this is a habit. It doesn't just happen. God doesn't just flow supernaturally from you to your kids. It takes work. God is at work all the time, and he is supernatural, and he is always at work. But the thing you've got to remember is here the scriptures tell us that in this business of making disciples, in this business of raising children, in this business, Moses is talking to an entire nation on how to cast a legacy of followers of God, it starts with impression and it starts with talking about God and His law, His word, all the time. No matter what the situation, all the time. The interesting thing about that is sometimes the secular world gets this idea better because it isn't just that we talk about it, it's that we very much model living out the truth of the word. How many of you have heard of a guy named Jamie Oliver? Okay, a few of you have. If you like food, you've probably heard of Jamie Oliver. We have, I think, six of his cookbooks. We like him very much. He's an interesting guy. He's one of the few people, I'm often warned by some of you that I need to talk slower 
Well, he talks faster than me. And it's kind of funny. But he's got a foundation that's very interesting. It's called the 15 Foundation. And I don't know all the logistics of it, but what they do is they find teenagers that are in um, juvie, in juvenile delinquency homes. And they grab them, and he comes and he brings them into his restaurants. He hires them. And he teaches them to be chefs. And then some of them later go on and they run their own restaurants. Former delinquents, now, with the help of Jamie Oliver and his staff of some of the world's greatest cooks, are running other restaurants. That takes more than just telling somebody, well, if you mix these ingredients, it works. That takes walking through life, modeling, and going through with them and showing them what it means to be a chef. I can't cook like Jamie Oliver. He says it's so easy. It frustrates me so much because he says it's so easy. It's not. He makes it all, oh, you just got this and that. I don't even understand the ingredients. But in the same way, some of us approach God's word and we need somebody to step back and walk with us and help us and open our eyes to the scriptures. But instead, we get so busy that we're too busy to model this word because we got too much else going on. But yet, Jamie Oliver's figured out what a great way to save kids from a life of jail time by modeling life. Can't we do that in the church? Can't we grab somebody? Multiplication. Jesus says, go into all the world, preaching the gospel, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That takes us grabbing people and walking with us. It takes talking about God wherever we are, in season and out of season. And then, when we get the idea, constantly God is to be on our hearts, constantly His Word is supposed to be flowing from us, constantly we're to be talking and living out what He's taught us, what He has set before us, then we come back to this. Here. There it is again. Here. Obey what's coming next, O Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. Depending on who you ask, this, the Lord is one has a couple of different connotations. One said, well, the, the one there means that God was the only true God of Israel. Others believe that it was saying that he is the one on, only God. I would tend to go with that. Uh, but the important thing here is that we know that Israel was being taught and we are taught that there is one God. There is no other. He is the God that gives us a law that brings life, that gives us a way to find love in all its fullness and all its richness through Him. And that's why this comes next. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, I am not a doctor, and I'm not going to try to biologically break down your heart, soul, and, and strength because, well, I just said I'm not a doctor. But if we try to break it down too much, we've missed the point. What is being said here is quite simple. All of you should be all of his. Every ounce of your being, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, is all the Lord's. The reason in the Old Testament you don't see mind there, but Jesus included mind, was heart was inclusive of your mind. It was all of your ness, if you will. It was all of you. 
And so God says through Moses, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But today sometimes what we do is we tend to put God in a box and say, I'm going to love God a whole lot from 9.30 to roughly 11-ish on a Sunday morning. But then come Monday morning at 9 a.m. when i got to get up and I don't want to, not so much. Or I'm going to love the Lord in this situation because it's easy, but when it gets hard, I'm going to pull back control of my life to myself. But if we start doing that, we've missed an interesting part of theology back in Genesis. Because man was created in whose image? In God's image. Scholars like to call this the imago Dei, the image of God that's emblazoned upon us. And so if we are made in his image, and then as we looked at the commandments, remember the commandments that we're carrying his name? How could we not seek to love him whom we bear his likeness? And in doing so, we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Some of us try to love him with all of our strength, and we go do it all ourselves. But we find we fail because we can't do it in our own strength. We can't get through this in our own strength. Others, we try to love him with our, all of our minds. And so we know a lot about God. But we forget to spend time in worship and just pause, not just music worship, but slowing down and say, God, build up my mind and my heart that I can commune with you and with others. And so we got all the right answers, but we can't apply them. No, it's not meant to be separate. It's meant that with every ounce of our being, we are invited to a loving relationship with God. That's pretty amazing. We're not being invited to earn our way to God. We're invited to a life of love. Wow. Did you think about that? Even in the Old Testament, we were invited to love. So that when you got to the time of Jesus, long time later, somebody asks Jesus this question. Of all the commandments... They're trying to nail Jesus. They're trying to get him. They're trying to get him to commit to one and not to the others because, you know, the commandments, the law, following, it's called legalism, following the right law was so important to get every bit right that they had missed the point. So they were trying to get Jesus to slip up. And so they said, of all the commandments, which is the most important? But the guy that asked it actually was asking out of an out of pure motives, it seems, because later on his response is very telling. But Jesus says this. He says the most important one is what most Israelites, most Jewish people of the day would be saying at least twice a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I've, I've heard people talk about this before and they say, well, Jesus adds to the Shema this second part, the loving your neighbor as yourself. And I think that's kind of a little bit of a misunderstanding. Jesus didn't add to the law. Jesus taught us a great scriptural lesson of connecting and applying the whole of the scripture together because loving your neighbor isn't yourself. At, that came out wrong. Loving your neighbor as yourself isn't a command that came from the mouth of Jesus. It came from the law of God. 
In fact, here's what it says in Exodus chapter 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. How come? Because I am the Lord. Jesus wasn't adding to Scripture. He was demonstrating the heart of the Word of God, the heart of God Himself. A love for God instills upon us a love for one another. And the people listening would have known that Jesus was talking about not bearing a grudge, that He was talking about their neighbor. He was talking about those that are hard to love. They would have connected the dots. And they would have seen Jesus revolutionize their understanding of obedience. That obedience was done out of a great love for God. We love others not because they deserve it, but because of who God is. He is worthy of our love. Do we deserve His love? Absolutely not. We are sinners. We make mistakes. But Jesus turns it back to life. He doesn't just say, do this. He says, live it. Live the life that starts by loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. It's interesting because Jesus knew just what to say and how to say it. That's a constant struggle for us, isn't it? Yeah, you know, sometimes you can think you're saying just the right thing and it doesn't come out the way you've intended it. That ever happened to you? Well, I'm the only one that's ever put their foot in their mouth. Let me give you an example. Last week, I thought very hard about an illustration to teach on the idea of covetousness. And in my mind, I thought sharing a personal story of what God was doing in my life was just a perfect illustration. And I wanted so much to tell a story in a certain way that led to a dramatic climax. I forgot to think about you. I forgot to think about how it might sound when it sounded like Mike was leaving the church. That was not a good thought in my head. That illustration worked perfectly. When I looked out at your body language, I was in big trouble. That was not, and it took the attention away from the message. For us, we have to be so careful of how we use the word. Because we respond in different ways. The word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And we are told not just to know it, but to be able to use it with gentleness and respect with love, with compassion, but also to be willing to rebuke when that is necessary, to be willing to teach all the time in action and in words. And we must therefore love our neighbors so much that we try to think about things from their perspective. I wonder how well we do with that. I missed the boat. I never thought that I would elicit the emotional reaction that came last week. And all I could do on the way home when my wife looked at me and said, don't ever do that again, she loves me enough to be honest, was just go, oh, I should have said that differently. 
What if in our communication, one with another, we worked so hard to be a people that communicated in a way that helped them understand the love and the life and the law of God? That they see him in us and they rejoice. It's hard work to not just live out the Shema, but to pass it on to our children, our spiritual children, our disciples, disciples of the Most High God, not ours. But it is so worth it. There is nothing greater than giving away the love, the life, and the law that has been given us through who Jesus is and what he's done. So when Jesus tells me to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love my neighbor as myself, I realize I've got a lot of work to do. But I want to continue growing. I want to continue to learn his word more and more. I want to be able to apply it to my children and let them see how alive his word is and how it is useful in every situation, in season and out of season. I'll never forget one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard by a man named Jim Cimbala, who's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in Brooklyn. And he got up in front of all of the Christian and Missionary Alliance delegates. And for 40 minutes, he preached on the glory of God. And the whole thing was just him reciting scripture of how God had revealed to him how the pieces came together. And he just took such joy in sharing the life of the word of God as it shows itself through how he prays, through how he interacts with others, through literally a time when a woman walked up to him or a man walked up to him and pointed a gun in his face and he said, can I pray for you? The man was so in love with God and his word that it just spilled out of him all the time. For us, it might be a big risk to change our perspective in the way we've introduced today. To say, yeah, Lord, I want to love you with all my heart. Okay, I can do that, but not my soul, not my mind or my strength. That's, you know, I want to do things my way. But that invitation to surrender, to say, Lord, I'm going to love you the way you have loved me completely. Greater love hath no one than this, that he would give up his life for another. But God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Wow. It's a risk to then love others the way Christ has first loved us, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant. Can we serve? Can we love others? Can we learn what God's word teaches us and live it out in every moment of our lives? No, not in our own strength, not in our own power. For two of the greatest words ever when they're put together. But God, he can do it. One of the other TED Talks I listened to yesterday was this guy, uh, Rob Lilwall. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's insane. Not really, but he's crazy. He rode his bike for 50,000 kilometers from Siberia back to his home. 50,000 kilometers. I'm not sure my pilot's in the room. That's a long way, right? I'm getting the head shake, yes. And then he decided after that, and that took him three and a half, four years or some long period of time, he decided, okay, now I'm going to walk from Mongolia home. The guy's crazy. But he got up in front of us yesterday, and this is what he said. 
He said at the end of his adventure, his takeaways were pretty simple. One, don't try to ride your bike on a beach. It doesn't work. That was the first thing he taught us. And then he said, do things that scare us. Do things that stretch us and take us out of our comfort zones and allow us to learn. And he actually used a scripture verse. I don't know whether he knew the context of that verse or not, but he did. For us, as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of God, as those that say we want to love the Lord our God, take the risk relationally to love others, to talk about the Lord and His Word day and night, in season, out of season, when you get up, when you go to bed. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your friends. They might not always like it, but they'll know whom you love. They'll know where your allegiance is. They'll know your citizenship is in heaven. And who knows, God might just use us to invite someone to the fullness of life that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that we, as men and women, would give away the law of life and love that you have given us. That people would see your word coming out of us as we speak, as we act, and as we live. People would know that they are loved because you first loved us. Lord, make us this kind of people today. Amen.